Tēnā koutou katoa, everyone, and welcome to the Weekly Hoon. I'm Bernard Hickey uh, with co-host Peter Bale. In oh, Bernard, Auckland. that's such a flattering phrase, co-host. Thank you very much. Oh, it's really, I, I, feel like a, I feel like a mere Ramoa underneath the shark that is, that is Bernard Hickey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're... Um, we're rapidly taking... Remora, rather. Remora is a suitcase, of course. I'm a Remora, sorry. A limpet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we're rapidly taking over the media landscape. I hear you're on um, the spin-off uh, North and South and um, Business Desk this week. Well, I, well, it depends. I'm not necessarily... On, I mean, I submitted a piece to Business Desk, but... Right. Uh, and I, as you know, I've written for them in many, you know, you know, they're just... It's, you know, you know, I've written all sorts of crap things. Sorry, did I just say crap? All sorts of things <laughs> for business desk. But yeah, the spin-off people elevated uh, a thing that I'd done about the British um, financial crisis uh, to the to the site, which was kind of them. But because uh, it normally just goes to the to the cognoscenti, as I think of them, you know, the New Zealand's most intelligent ten thousand people who subscribe to the spin-off. Which well, is yeah. A, there's and I think the Venn, the Venn diagram between the uh, subscribers to the spin-off and the subscribers to Bernard Hickey's incredible The Kaka is probably quite close, I would say. Yeah, so this is like a double dose straight to the jugular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's um, yeah, a grumpy socialist like us, or like you. Uh, I'm not a socialist, as you know, but because um, everybody here accuses me of being uh, basically sounding like David Seymour's lap dog, although David Seymour doesn't have a lap, so he's probably got a very small dog in it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we've seen him twerk, and that's enough. Have right, we? Jesus, that's disgusting. Well, you, you, you were out of New Zealand when he was on Dancing with the Stars. Did oh, you know about this? God, yeah. Well, yeah, but that's, that, 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 that changes the position of stars to an entirely new level. Oh, Bernard, um, David is pointing out that chat is still disabled. Ah, our people, fixed. our people want to talk and contribute, and you know, absolutely. And yeah. I will and we need to, this. we need to have faux, faux modesty and patronise them hell out of them. Yes, you know. yes, yes. No, no. We need to be. Um, Jesus Christ. Very where's open. Where's our trans- producer? Oh, she's in the bath. That's right. Here we go. Uh, she's in the bath. Okay, we do now. Uh, hello to you all. Thank you very much. Oh yeah. Okay, let's start Everyone. off with. Let's yeah. let's start off with the news um, this week, which has really come out of London uh, because of the Friday night intervention of Kwasi Kwarteng, the Mm. Chancellor of the Exchequer, announcing tax cuts for the the richest people in Britain, including the richest 2,500 taxpayers in Britain will get, on average, an extra £18 million oh, each. Bernard, they deserve it, they need it, and it will trickle down to the other people. Trickle down, They yeah. will be just, they'll be, they'll be throwing that money out of the taxis as they drive up and down Regent Street. Jesus. Yeah. I, I'm that, very concerned about this, you know, socialist thread to your, to your thinking yeah. sometimes. £18 million pounds of, of trickling, though, that's, you've got to be careful with £18 million pounds of trickling. Well, £18 because, billion, pounds. yes, but also if the trouble is also if you don't, if you're 99, if you have 99% uh, borrowing as a percentage of GDP, you're already in deep shit. Exactly. And this is the problem, really. Um, the bond vigilantes of the world saw this and thought, ah, how are you going to pay for that $45 billion worth of tax cuts? Yeah, from us. Where are, where are your spending cuts yeah. to match? Um, and there weren't any. And uh, as we've seen, Kwasi Kwarteng put out this. It wasn't so much a budget or even a mini budget. It was budget. a mini budget. It was a mini budget. But and it he was, described it, was a, it as a, as a special oh, financial fisc- interve- fiscal intervention. 
Yeah, a, a fiscal event. Fisc- I'm sorry, a fiscal a event. Special That's fiscal right. event. That's right. A bit, a bit like a, a special military situation, hmm. and he. Um, because it was called a special fiscal situation, that meant the Office of Budget Responsibility, which is an independent and quite interesting body in the in UK politics. Really, which, really good idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, which essentially um, has a really close look at the proposals by the government in a budgetary sense, and also is useful as an independent um, arbiter of these horrible fiscal disputes you get between governments and oppositions where one says you know you're ruining the government's finances and the other one says you know you're talking a load of tosh well bring in the referee the office of budget responsibility but in this case unlike with a normal budget uh there were there was no opportunity there was to, no obr you know, although um Interestingly, uh, the BBC economics editor has discovered that, in fact, the uh, Office of Budget Responsibility gave uh, Kwasi Kwarteng on the day he took over the chancellorship a forecast for the UK economy and offered to do a study for the for the for this uh, fiscal event. Uh, and in fact, they may be meeting Liz Truss in Downing Street today. But you know they don't want it, Bernard. I think I think the, the the critical thing here that I've been thinking about, and I sent you the Adam Two's piece from the Guardian. This is not none of this is by accident. These people are running a uh, rather extraordinary neoliberal. I'm not really sure it's neoliberal. A rather extreme experiment on the British economy. Kwasi uh, Kwarteng's um, aides called it a shock and awe approach. And it's more like a, I can't, well, I was going to say something rude then. I can't possibly do that this early in the, in the, in the event. But, you know, it, 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 is, it was a shocking thing to do. And then he more or less said, I don't give a fuck about the markets. Everything's turbulent. You know, the Uyghurs going to ride it out. But you've got the IMF. You've got um, Mark Carney, the former Bank of England governor, an old friend of mine, Gus O'Donnell, the former head, former head of John Major's department, saying, I've never seen anything like this. You know, this is... This is flabbergastingly mad, and it only works as a flabbergastingly mad thing if you think that there's a follow-up, which is dramatic uh, cost cuts to government expenditure. And I think what's really happening here, thank you for putting up that Bernard Filler on the, the Adam Tooze piece, and I, I was thinking of this before Adam Tooze, but you know he's a proper economist, whereas I'm just an idiot savant as or and co-host. But um, they will you, I suspect they will use this very crisis of their own creation to launch the most uh, extraordinary cuts in government expenditure straight away. And what, what, is, what is a really good one for New Zealand to think about? I mean, we're always trying to think about what the New Zealand angle on this might be, apart from you know, uh, the MP for Ireland today who asked me about, you know, who, who put out my piece and said, nationals looking at tax cuts as well, is they will use the crisis in the NHS plus this crisis, I predict, to start privatising the NHS even more than it already has been the National Health Service. Yeah, and so if you, if you start a, talking about a situation being in crisis enough, then you say, we've got the solution to the crisis, and it is X. Yeah, you know? well, and it'll, help, it'll start we're going to gonna bring in the private sector to help us all out, and to do yeah. that, we have to uh, make it a contestable process. Um, That's this right, is, and it's all a short, the, sharp shock, yeah. It's yeah, quite a long it's, shock in this case. Yeah, and but they're going to do it without any sort of mandate because obviously this wasn't put to the electorate. Um, it was put to about 
160,000 um, Conservative Party members, and uh, just over half of those voted for it. So we're talking 0.1% of the British population mm-hmm. who are in favour of Liz Trusts. And uh, um, it looks like the Tory party, if suddenly, if suddenly dawned on them, this might not be popular. And we've seen the latest polls showing that Labour have sprinted uh, a 32 over... point lead first time and first time in you know, 35 and, and, years or something like that. And if you had an election based on those results, Liz Truss would lose her electorate. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and uh, there's already talk of um, discontent amongst the Tory backbenchers. Um, many of whom didn't want it there to start with, but um, we're not quite at the sending letters to the 1922 committee. Well, I think we probably are, but it is also it just, but it, it's it's also just so weird because you've got this, you know, this theoretical party of competent party of you know natural party, and this again is a good a good uh, thing for New Zealanders to think about. You know, this idea that you've got some natural party of government, you know, and 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 they are. What, I mean, what's what's good about this in a sense? So there is an argument that this is radical. It's exactly what Britain needed if it's going to go out of Brexit, which is already a phenomenal cock-up. But um, if you're going to go out of Brexit, then do something radical. Turn it genuinely into Singapore on sea. Although, of course, Singapore is on the sea. But, you know, definitely go for the full Singapore thing. And that's what they're trying to do. That, that is, this is an ideologically driven, think tank driven approach, which... You know, look. Let's let's just admit it could be incredibly successful. You know, the the, the this has happened so many times. Uh, no, it hasn't. No, you know, this has actually run out of the Taxpayers Alliance office, yeah. which is actually what, you mean in uh, New Zealand. No, no, in Britain, yeah. um, the Taxpayers Alliance is this quite far mm-hmm. right thing, tank thing, which is actually um, very similar and connected to the Taxpayers Union. In Zealand, which is, um, you'd call it a ginger group, that would be a kind way to describe the, t- the taxpayers union here, but they're very much, it's all about cutting taxes, getting the size of government down, all government spending is bad, yep. all business is good. Well, what's um, interesting about it too, but it's also the Institute of Economic Affairs, which I used to have a lot to do with when I first moved to, to the UK in about the 1870s, and they came up with the... Um, with the, on the, I think I've said this before, on the first refrigerated ship from Dunedin when I, you know, yeah. I was basically hanging upside down, <laughs> covered in ice. But um, I, I'm imagining your carcass uh, yeah. in a but frosty But the, the Institute yeah. of Economic Affairs is why we have um, uh, regulated, semi-regulated and privatised utilities in New Zealand. It came up with the entire scenario for the uh, privatisation of British utilities whether it's water or electricity, and we imported their ideology. I actually, you know, there's a lot to be said for it, in fact, although, you know, when you've got poo running down the streets of Wellington and uh, basically covering most beaches in the UK, then you might call it into question. But this is a deeply ideological push, and we have not seen the end of it. This is not by accident what Kwasi Kwarteng um, and, and Liz Truss are doing. But it's deeply unpopular, and essentially, it looks like they're just trying to ram it through before they get voted out of the, in by early twenty twenty four, which the rest of the Conservative Party must be alarmed about because there is a risk here. This completely wipes out the Conservative Party for another generation. I mean, it's not we can impossible. but hope we can yeah. but hope that it you know wipes out wipes out um, you know inbred relics like uh, William Rees Mogg. You know, yeah. 
Uh, I'm sorry, Jacob. Course, I keep I keep thinking of his dad, William. Not 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 his. Wasn't he? Wasn't he like a editor of the Times? Or something? He, he was. I think I've told yeah. you that story. Which I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. these people have been bored. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a very interesting thing. Do you remember there was the wonderful uh, a, a Labour guy wrote a, a letter and put it in his desk at the Treasury for the incoming Conservative government, which said, I think there is no money. <laughs> And, and, you know, this is much more like leaving a set of prawns in the um, in the curtain rail uh, for the next Labour government. This is not going to be going to be pleasant. And, and it is, you know, the way everything's going at the moment, it looks like Labour will have to clean it up. But there is, you know, there's no reason to have an election in the UK for the next 18 months. Yeah. And uh, meantime, I mean, we've talked about the you know political drama of it on Friday night. But uh, we actually saw some of the reaction in our time on Saturday morning um, as the uh, markets uh, uh, were trading when the pound went down to $1.03 US cents, yes. which is a record, record low. Mm -hmm. And what essentially happened was that um, the bond vigilantes have been asleep since 1993, woke up and said, gee, as you pointed out earlier, this is a country with 99% to GDP. Yeah, and they've it's just an emerging market. Yeah. And they've just launched uh, tax cuts for the rich equivalent to 3% of GDP. Remember, that's an entire year's growth. And uh, they've done it in an unfunded way. This is on top of about 10% of GDP's worth of uh, subsidies for businesses and for consumers, which again also is a massive transfer of wealth from taxpayers at large to large electricity companies. Most of companies. whom are owned by, by the French. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> by the oh, French the state. irony. Yeah. Oh, the Brexit well, Bernard, irony. There was a really, yeah. just while you're talking about the, 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 the bonds, there was a fabulous thing this week describing the moron premium. <laughs> that, that was great. That, that the the international markets, you know, while while they're looking at this uh, developed market, the sixth largest economy in the world, you know, setting itself on fire. Like I think I've said to you before, I've certainly said to, to you privately that in the past two years, when I've been living in New Zealand, reading the Guardian in the middle of the night at sort of three or five three or five o'clock in the morning, you get the impression that the UK is on fire, you know, and then you go there and you realise it's all tickety boo and we're all drinking sherry and being nice to each other, but it really almost literally is on fire. If, I, if only they could afford the firewood at the moment. Yeah. And, and this idea of a moron premium is, oh. is such a fabulous idea that, you know, bond markets are looking at the UK and they're thinking, hmm, you know, if you were thinking, thinking that Bank of, Inc Bank of England interest rates would go to 6% in the next six months or so, you would be piling into sterling, but you need a moron premium on top of it just because um, you don't know what the heck they're going to do next exactly. and or with any sort of sense. It's of, very Monty Python-esque, actually, and now for something completely different. That's right. Um, with Liz Truss as the knight on the bridge um, saying... Um, just a, it's but, just a nick, tis but a scratch. Just, yes. Tis but a scratch. You shall yeah. not pass, coward. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, and the bond markets. Not only did you see you've seen the um, the British bond yields rise from two percent to six percent, which was the fastest and biggest and most volatile move in the history of British bond markets. And you've got to remember, I mean, we're talking here about a, an economy and a, and a currency, and uh, a banking system and a financial markets, which up until 1944 or so was 
the gold standard. This was the oh, literally words. the gold standard, Bernard. Yeah, it, this was. There's the, a reason um, they call it the pound sterling, which is of silver sterling. rather than gold. But exactly. Yeah. This was the world's reserve currency. It effectively had the place that the US dollar does now, and it only really was handed over to the Americans in 1944 with Bretton Woods when John Maynard Keynes, uh, my hero, uh, came out and uh, essentially acknowledged that. America was going to come out of the Second World War um, pretty much unscathed and that its domestic economy mm. wasn't wrecked. It had built up this enormous um, arsenal of democracy, which had transformed the, the American economy, apart from anything else, into the world's most powerful. Christ, are, are you taking over the history blog now? Oh, history I, podcast. It, it is amazing. What happened mm. this week was amazing. I mean, yes. I've, I've got relatives, your father, my grandfather, fought in wars to protect the British Empire's role as the dominant force. As the, the most sensible people in the world. Yeah, exactly. Um, the global economy. And, and uh, earlier this week, um, the British guilt. I mean, the idea of calling it a of guilt. Calling it a guilt, exactly. Exactly. Um, this is a British government bond. Uh, which was used, been used for 300 years to fund, you know, wars against Napoleon and all sorts of things. The British guilt was actually more expensive, i.e. its interest rates were higher than the Italian and the Greek bond yields. Mm. Mm. Just extraordinary. And, uh, you know, now the British government has been criticised by the IMF. Now, this, this isn't the first time this has happened. 1976 was the, um, that national humiliation when the pound collapsed and the IMF had to get involved. And effectively... Well, the IMF uh, got involved this week. Yeah, course. that's right. I mean, they came in and said... They, not only that, but also then there's the... the, the I'm sorry, Bernard. The, the, um, the uh, Bank of England intervention saying that it was going to spend $65 billion trying to support... Uh, the UK economy because the the people at the other end of town were fucking it up. Yeah, I mean, almost literally, again, they did say again, those words. Threadneedle Street said these because the other guys at the end of town are fucking it up. <laughs> yes, um, extraordinary, really. I mean, not only is the idea of forty five billion dollars worth of unfunded tax cuts that the the rest of the world think is bonkers and requires a moron premium, but also. You've got the Bank of England, which is madly scrambling to try to control inflation, which looks like it's going to hit over 10% very shortly. And for the last um, year or so, have actually been trying to effectively buy back the bonds to quantitative tightening in the space yep. of 12 <laughs> hours, completely flipped and said, yep. okay, we're going to sacrifice our fight for inflation credibility just for the sheer desperate need to protect our it's, financial system from collapse. It's a backflip with a double twist and a pike going straight into the water. Now, can I just declare a personal interest here? Because that chap, sure. um, David Moring, who we follow. So, yes, I do have some property in the UK. And, yes, I have some actual cash in the UK. My entire life fucking times pensions is in the UK. Ah. And one of the interesting things, not to make this personal, but, of course, the pension, the real one of the reasons that the Bank of England intervened was because uh, the pension funds, which are in, immense in the UK, because you have contributory pensions and you also have, uh, although very few people, very they're, they're huge, but only boomers have them. And I, I, in fact, opted out of one stupidly, but you have what are called final salary pensions. So there's these enormous pensions industry. And what? they have- you, a, and you, they had have a, you had a chance? You had a chance for a yeah, defined yeah, 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 benefit scheme and you Roy. passed it up? 
no, I, I opted out of it thinking it was a good idea. <laughs> the, other, the other person in my family didn't opt out. And so she is living in the Riviera um, on the West Coast. Anyway, uh, the pension funds looked at this crisis this week and it was starting to disrupt their formula because they hold gilts and they hold stock and they hold, you know, they have a percentage of each that they have to hold to protect the risk of the um, pension funds. And you were looking at a meltdown of the UK pension fund industry and therefore a meltdown of, you know, everybody at or near retirement. And um, the reason it, it got from, so from a commercial bad. pension industry. That's right. The reason it got so bad so quickly is that um, all of these pension funds for the last five or 10 years have been very cleverly uh, trying to protect themselves from further falls in interest rates by taking out um, something called a liability-driven instrument, an LDI. LDI, from, yeah. Yeah, from all sorts of very fancy investment banky style um, hedge funds and advisors like BlackRock, the world's most powerful pension fund. And this essentially meant that when we saw massive volatility, and in particular, the sprint higher in the bond yields, effectively, they were asked for a, because it was a type of derivative, a hedge, they were asked for a margin call. Mm -hmm. So if they all had to madly come up with hundreds mm -hmm. of millions of pounds at the drop of a hat. And the only way you do that when you're a pension fund is to sell your bonds. So what you're doing is, is creating a, a negative feedback loop, a doom loop, which made it worse, of course. And in the space of about um, 72 hours, what we're seeing now in the reporting from the, British, the bowels of the British bond markets is that literally the British pension scheme... So that you, you've said something really ugly there, the bowels of the British <laughs> bond market... Having yeah. been, you know, having spent time in the city of London and various restaurants in the city of London is not a very pretty place. No, no, and and um, you and I worked for Reuters in in London at the time. I was a yeah. uh, a banking insurance M and A reporter, actually, actually in the in the bells of those debt, those gilt markets, mm. and I'm trying to understand how these pension funds operate. And uh, we're told that they were literally, you know, hours away from complete collapse which would have meant you would have had the pound hitting a all-time low and then would have been another um, all-time low yep and then people like yourself peter um receiving letters or emails saying oh by the way your pension fund just blew up well, my mortgage, and my various mortgages in the uk have also gone up which is kind of irritating yeah, yeah. well this is the, the other good thing reason... is the good thing is i've decided to just put up the rent so the poor bloody people are <laughs> living in my houses yeah yeah this is the this is the thing that not only um, with the pension funds blowing. People don't realise when I'm joking. Sometimes they get irritated. <laughs> and they think I'm David Camp, David uh, Seymour. Yeah, Seymour. carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not only with the pension funds blowing up, but also more than half of the mortgage products in yes the, were withdrawn, um, were suspended. Absolutely. I mean, this is like the, it's it's like people just saying tremendous screech of brakes. And I'm afraid, as Liz Truss said, you know. This is all Putin's doing. I do not believe that Virgin Money withdrawing its half of its all of its mortgage products, in fact, is is because of Putin. Thank you very much. I mean, all of this is there are international factors, but these these people are doing a self-inflicted hit on themselves, but they're also doing it for ideological reasons. And like I say, Bernard, it will lead to some dramatic uh, changes in areas that New Zealand should be cognizant about, about this whole idea of how big these people are running a thing about how big the government should be and i think that is a really interesting question 
then it's really worthy of debate, but they're having a deliberately generated crisis to have that conversation in a kind of shock and awe way. It's really damaging. Yeah, and right now they're saying we will not change our way. We're going to carry on with these tax cuts. We we're not going to tell you what we're going to how we're going to fund it until the end of November. In fact, their initial plan was not to tell anyone until early next year. So what yeah. was amazing about all this is that Liz Truss had obviously prearranged to go on and do like 19 interviews with regional BBC radio yesterday and to, um, to avoid the to avoid the heart of people yeah that's right and instead she got all of these um very competent and um juicy uh questions from a whole bunch of bbc reporters do you mind if i just uh, no no go for it, and play it yeah so here we go how are you doing have you slept well could you hear that Peter? yep yep cool Days since your Chancellor Quasi Quarting's mini budget, the pound has dropped to a record low. The IMF has said that you should reevaluate your policies, and the Bank of England has had to spend £65 billion to prop up the markets because of what they describe as a material risk. Where have you been? We had to take decisive action, and that's why we took action to make sure people aren't paying a typical fuel bill of more than £2,500. Yeah. That's going to come in this Saturday. That was before the mini budget, though, yeah. Prime Minister. I'm talking about the last four days. Where have you been? Because we've not heard from you in the last four days. Well, well, I'm here today on Radio Leeds talking to you. This is about Putin and the war in Ukraine. That is why we so are... So the Bank of England's intervention yesterday was the fault of Vladimir Putin, wasn't it? It's also about how we grow the size of the pie so that everyone can benefit. By borrowing more and putting our mortgages up. <laughs> we need to borrow more this winter for the energy crisis that we're facing. And I we're think that was the right thing mortgage. to do. That is... We're going to put, spend more in mortgage fees under what you've done based on the predictions than we would have saved with energy. I don't think anybody is arguing that we shouldn't have acted on energy. There'll be lots of people that will be going to work for the NHS in the Queen Elizabeth Hospital today, uh, and they're working in an environment where the roof is held up by, at the last count, 1,500 props. Can you guarantee that Kingsling will get a new hospital? Well, as you know, as a local MP, I've been lobbying very hard to see improvements at the Queen Elizabeth, and I've seen for myself a very difficult uh, situation with the roof. And, of course, uh, we have a new health secretary, Trace Coffey. I do hope she'll visit... Uh, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital soon uh, to see the situation there and make sure that action is taken. It should be the fourth health secretary to visit patients. So, so when is it going I to happen? She will be the one that delivers. You hope. Well, I'm, not, I'm not making promises on her behalf, but I will. I will certainly be putting that case as the local MP. Your local MPs don't want it. All Conservative. In the I mean, past, it's the all a bit bonkers, Bernard, at the moment. Yeah. And I just the there was a fabulous one of the Labour Labour politicians today more or less said that that was a, a, a long silence had been broken by a series of deeply uncomfortable short silences. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, but today I was also looking. There's um, David Frost, who not not the David Frost, uh, a, a sort of sort of cut out and keep version of him, uh, who used to sell whiskey and then tried to sell Brexit to the European Union, uh, has a column in the Telegraph. <clears throat> and said that essentially uh, the trust and uh, Kwateng budget was being attacked by 
um, international hectoring classes like the IMF, the European Commission, Mark Carney, the former um, head of the Bank of England, and Gordon Brown, the editorial board of the Financial Times and The Economist, the whole ghastly crew that thinks the West inevitably faces stagnation and decline. That's incredibly close to saying that they're all a bunch of globalists, which we know is code for something much, much less pleasant. But you know, th th there is an argument for this kind of economics, but you've got to make it properly. And this is just, you know, the, 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 this is an extension. Actually, it's, uh, Robert Shrimsley in the, in the FT wrote an irritatingly good piece today saying that this was really an extension of the madness of Brexit, that you, um, you know, make these contentions about where the money is going to go and you have absolutely no way to back it up. It, it is quite extraordinary. I mean, and we can't ignore it. Uh, you know, China no, is having an impact just... on us. Yeah, China is our largest trading partner. And for mm. a long time, we've sort of been edging away from Britain and thinking it of, of it more of as a, you know, a destination for tourists and uh, crazy royals. But there is a, a clear, you know, legislative constitutional link with the British Parliament, with the British Crown. Uh, you well, know, it's a contagion, Bernard. You know, the C word. I, I saw the word contagion being used. And that's why, you know, you've got the federal uh, governors of the Federal Reserve coming out and saying WTF, you know, mm. and they're not saying WHO, they're saying WTF. This is that's right. You know. And and the other reason it's of interest here and picked up in various interviews this week on Morning Report and elsewhere is that this is uh, um, a lot like, not ex exactly the same, but there are some echoes of the opposition's policy to cut taxes, to remove the 39th cent tax rate, which is our top Do you mean tax our rate. opposition? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and, to, and also to uh, change the tax thresholds, along with the removal of the bright line, the ring fencing, and the interest deductibility changes. Yeah, if, I still, landlords. if I understood what bright lining meant, I would still, I still haven't ever... You know, I asked you this about two years ago, and I still haven't got there. Well, that MP from Elam, Elam, uh, yep. yeah, messaged me today about this, having seen the spin-off thing, and said, you know, National's trying to do this too. And then I went back to her and said, oh, National wouldn't dream of doing it from borrowing. And she very sensibly came back and said, well, I don't know what you know that Christopher Luxon wouldn't say, but this morning he, you know, so I thought maybe she's right. Maybe it is all, they are all mad. Yeah, well, so we had the interviews yesterday with uh, Christopher Luxton in which he um, said that... Uh, well, he said, he, almost, almost certainly he said, well, Bernard, the reality is... Uh, yep. Yeah. And, Apparently and, he used to run an airline. Yeah. You yeah, know, mm. he, he did. And uh, he, he hasn't uh, told us what the other side of the equation is because... National haven't put forward their policy yet. The trouble for National is they're having their cake and they're eating it too. They, they want to oh, present you, Yeah. They, they say they want to um, give everyone a tax cut, but they're not saying how they're going to pay for it, other than vaguely saying that they're going to cut wasteful spending without actually identifying which mm. wasteful spending they'd cut. And this, again, is the problem for the Conservatives. Not only um, are their tax cuts, which are very big and very heavily weighted to the richest, mm. if the tax cuts proposed by the opposition would see at the moment, well more than uh, half of the benefits go to the top 20 or 30% of taxpayers. And also... Um, the numbers are quite big when you add up not just the indexation 
and the removal of the top tax rate, but these other changes for landlords, you know, we, we're getting up towards the three, $4 billion mark. This is not something you can fix by getting rid of a few contractors. No, and, it's a very um, interesting concept, Bruno, because you, you know, in, at, at its more fundamental level, as I kind of see it from, you know, have, having come back recently, is you've got an emerging market that thinks it's a developed market. It's got a developed market, um, a developed economy lifestyle for white people. And it thinks that it is a developed market, but it isn't. It's an agrarian commodity producing. Um, housing market with bits tacked on. Yep. Housing market with bits tacked on. But it isn't, it doesn't have the wherewithal to run Norwegian levels of tax with Norwegian levels of, of lifestyle. And that's, you know, New Zealand's in a really interesting conundrum. I think you should go into politics immediately. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the last thing anyone needs. Out, but uh, but um, uh, we'll suggest a few uh, things and try and keep an eye on everyone. Uh, Nicola Willis came out um, this morning and- Your appeared... gin and tonic partner. Yeah, 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 we need to have her back on for more gin and tonics. Um, we need to um, keep a, a close eye on what she's saying because she seemed to be suggesting that the tax cuts may not come in for the first year or two. Because the other problem, which hasn't really been focused on in Britain, but which is just as much of a problem here, is that if you do do tax cuts, you're giving people a whole bunch of cash, which they're going to spend and push up inflation. If you've got That's an inflation right. problem, the last thing you need to do is give That's lots right. of but people also, cash. You know, I think the, th the thing here, Bernard, and this is, again, we, we, we need to get this. We, we should probably get that. Who's that? Um, is he a Canadian or an American chap who's working at the New Zealand Enterprise uh, Initiative? Ah, Eric Crampton. Yeah. Eric. We should get him on sometime. I mean, I... As you know, I do not necessarily assume that giving the money, giving the government more money is the right way to have money allocated. You know, that ta yes. higher taxes are not necessarily a guarantee of brilliant investment. Yeah, it depends. You know? it, because it does depend, but we know, but we know it's not. Look, like we, we know that in the best will in the world, governments are not totally brilliant at uh, allocating resources. Mind you, there's a few private companies who've stuffed it up as well. So none, none at all. No, no, no. They're, no, they're all brilliant. <laughs> they're all absolutely brilliant at it, and they would never yeah. do anything naughty. Yeah, and and a government can be a useful thing for um, uh, rectifying a market failure. Ah, you know, for example, what idea. we have, we, the, can, what we, we can have talk about TVNZ and RNZ in that case. Ah, yeah. well, let's let's pivot, as they say, Shall to we? that. Yeah, I mean, this is exactly a, a, a good example of where. Uh, we have a publicly funded uh, radio news net, net, network in RNZ, and we have a publicly funded but commercially supplemented TVNZ as a um, uh, public television network, which are being slammed together in a, a legislation which not only does it look like no one in the industry loves, but is being uh, managed by, by someone who's seems to be making it even worse. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I mentioned it last week, Bernard, partly because I'd been involved in, which was a great privilege after, you know, not having lived in New Zealand since the late 1870s and that Dunedin refrigerated ship story. But um, Willie Jackson's intervention in the in front of the select committee and then also with that woman, Melissa, from uh, the National Party, the other National Parliament, yep. yeah, really suggests a degree of ministerial intervention and... Um, an agenda 
that is nowhere present in the legislation, the rather scanty legislation that is setting up this forced merger of RNZ and TVNZ. And I'm I'm profound. I'm actually kind of personally concerned about it because I've been slightly involved in it. And I've written a piece for Business Desk this week, which you know, if if they shred it and if they don't spike it, might get might get out there. Really, a commentary piece rather than a piece of reporting, but. The, this is exactly what one of the problems with this merger idea is. I actually support the print. I can, sorry, I can see the the reason for merging the two, to create a really robust and powerful uh, digital product because broad, you know, linear broadcasting is on its way out. But the level of uh, evident political interference by this government. So one of the interesting things is that guy Simon Power, the new CEO of. Um, uh, NZME, oh, I apologize, TVNZ, TVNZ, probably he'll move from there to NZME, <laughs> forgive me. Um, but, he, you know, he, he said at a thing I said recently that, you know, he, he, he wasn't worried about this government or the next government, but he was worried about future governments having uh, too much control. And the, the structure, the um, uh, government enterprise, I forget what it's called, this, the, the particular legislative structure which this uh, uh, entity is, is uh, created under, requires it to be cognizant of government policy and neither mm. tvnz nor rnz now are um qualified qualified with that it certainly um ties them both closer to the government of the days too closer that. and then if and then if the existing minister the existing minister said to to um uh, i think melissa chen yesterday i reject the idea oh no i thought it was to the select committee he said i reject the idea that i would interfere with the independence of TVNZ and RNZ. I'm sorry, you just did. Exactly. And, and I think and this is really critical because it goes to our to all of the cultural questions that we're wrestling with in New Zealand. So in such a brilliant way, it goes to the economics of TVNZ, which is a brilliantly run organization. Well, sorry, it's a very effective organization, produces serious revenue, produces a great audience. And it goes to the whole, you know, it's a really interesting cultural problem, cultural problem, economic problem, because this, edifice might squeeze out or has the potential to squeeze out some of the um, private sector businesses. That's that's the worry here. They're spending $360 million to slam together two organisations. Well, that's combined... what Melissa says. He says it's mm. about um, £12.50, but $12.50. But, but I, I don't think it's not about what the merger costs necessarily. It's about what kind of sustainable journalism organized sorry forgive me it's not even journalism sustainable organization are you creating to reflect new zealand back on itself you know i you know you and i naturally as some of the people i've been working with on some of this work um is uh we focus too much on the news this is also about entertainment where does one lane bridge go how does one lane bridge get done which wasn't i don't think terribly good but it was pretty good you know where do the, where does the stuff that New Zealand on air go? Where does how does how does this entity reflect back to New Zealand and New Zealand's sense of identity? Which is yeah, which and, and and I agree it may well not be doing it perfectly at the moment, but these are really big questions, uh, and I, and I think having the minister intervene in this way was not incredibly helpful. I still uh, can't see the burning platform that this um, merger actually solves. It's like a solution in search of a problem well i see some of our people say that C kathleen lauderdale says that and i'm not absolutely sure about that because in fact when I, when it first came up with chris farfoy and and you know willie jackson has been far more interventionist and given it far more of a kick along than chris ever did 
there is an argument that in a digital world you need a, you need a, you need a, if you're going to have good public media public interest media you need a, a public entity that can compete effectively and but i just don't see that in the legislation weirdly i've actually read the legislation and spent days talking about it with more intelligent people than me it's a very weak um, mm. a very a very weak cup of tea to try and solve a quite a big problem yeah, and it's um, potentially dangerous and, you know, uh, much more aggressive and um, prescriptive hands than Willie Jackson. But we've also got to remember that uh, there is a bit of precedent here. Those old enough to remember the dark days of Muldoon will know that um, he got pretty down and dirty with uh, the um, then management of NZBC and TVNZ wow. in, in uh, trying to stop various people from asking him questions. I mean, you or... should mention this, Bernard. Have we talked ah, about this before? No, please do. So Simon Walker's inter famous, famous interview with Muldoon mm. is the reason I'm a journalist today. There you go. Because in about 1875, he questioned Muldoon uh, when I was probably 15 on black and white television in mm. Wantry Hill. Not well, I was watching it on a black and white television in Wantry Hill. I'm sure he was at Avalon. And he questioned the prime minister in a really aggressive way that I had never seen. And I thought, I want to be that man. Yeah, I mean, and that's then unfortunately, the I became a 12 year old working in parliament, being incredibly rude to David Lummy, <laughs> which was a mistake. Yeah, but I mean, that that, that element of uh, accountability in public live well, on Putnam television. Was drinking, drinking, drinking Stolich Naya out of his bloody I water hope, bottle. I hope, I hope it is. <laughs> It's what we should be having on a Friday night. Hey, Robert, Robert how are you? Wonderful. Good, to see thank you. you. How are you guys doing? Good, good. How's your methane intake? We can, we can, uh, we, we don't have to do any, any bloody um, methane control in New Zealand anymore because Putin's, um, you know, let off more methane than the entire Danish economy from. Um, yeah, he's trying to accelerate stream, climate isn't change timetable, isn't he? <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, it's an extraordinary um, week of action in the. Uh, Ukraine-European situation. Uh, Robert, what did, what did you make of this, these two explosions? Which three. the day, three, three, four, three four now, and, then and then they four, found a fourth four. one. Yes, sorry, Bernard, you're fucking, you know, get up with the program. Start <laughs> reading my work. Yeah. Yep. And, and um, uh, no one's sort of tied any evidence to the Russians or anyone else for that matter. Um, mm. But how important do you think these explosions are, which seem to have taken out? Nord Stream 1 and 2. Yeah, I mean, 1 and 2, I don't think were functioning um, mm. at the time, but um, because I think the Russians had terminated uh, the supply of gas, but there's clearly gas in the pipeline still, so to speak. Um, I understand that the gas leaks will not end to about Sunday. Um, mm. So it's a serious situation. Um, I think it's highly significant. And as you're quite rightly saying bernard we, no one has actually pointed to any convincing evidence um who done it who who is responsible well, for this so robert i want to posit something to you on this because i'm you know i, I uh, okay let me posit two things to you one is that the united states has the capability to do exactly this but i can see absolutely no reason in which they would Mm. But a week after you'd said this is not a bluff, 
is an incredible it's an incredibly putinish thing to I do i know it is yeah, yeah because you you escalate to de-escalate yeah and also i think putin actually want he I think he was disappointed with the impact of his mobilization speech. I'm stating the obvious here on several fronts. First no, of all, don't, don't worry about that. We, we do it every week. Yeah. But on several fronts, first of all, his domestic situation has become more difficult. The military situation in Ukraine is deteriorating quickly. And it didn't frighten many of the Western countries. In fact, the United States responded by announcing an extra 12 billion of military assistance for Ukraine within days of Putin making his yeah. nuclear saber rattling. So if he hoped to detach the West through that sort of speech by threatening nuclear weapons, it didn't work. So I think your scenario is plausible because I think he's a guy which will, you know, I think Putin's always been quite bold about using such tactics. Um, you know, his career, he's been audacious. Yeah, there's a very um, good, there's a very good, um, not publicly known. Yeah, there's a very good Susan Glasser piece in the New Yorker this week, just today, in fact. Uh, and she was, she's the White House correspondent for the yeah. New Yorker and uh, former Washington, former Moscow correspondent. And she says, we've always underestimated how far he's prepared to go and how, how he will, or his response to things is always to ratchet it up. And then he's misunderstood the West as well. It's a very interesting. Yeah. dilemma this that you that you know this is a man who would who would appear to have blown up to have organized the blowing up of several apartment blocks in russia yeah. to be elected to have launched the chechen war you know when we go low he goes much much higher yes i remember you interviewed someone peter who was and i think you wrote up a piece american journalist who covered the blowing With up David of the Moscow. yeah 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 um and i think there's a lot of evidence now that that happened but the uh, yeah, I mean, at the moment, we don't have any what I call game changing evidence of the party that is responsible. The United States is certainly capable of it. And of course, there are already people saying uh, on Twitter and elsewhere, it's definitely the Americans, because that way it makes Europe more dependent on them. Yeah, well, I so um, but Bernard and I talked about this, I think, even before we'd met you that remember Ted Cruz was, yeah. you know, i.e., you know, Mr. Gas from the U.S., Everybody in the US has had, I, I thought they were really dodgy about Nord Stream and about Nord Stream 2, because I must admit, I bought into the, not quite into the Schroeder idea, but into the idea that if you had codependence effectively yeah. between between Germany and Russia, that that nobody would dream of buggering that up. And Putin, of course, has decided permanently, certainly in his lifetime, to screw up the dependence, the potential dependency, and all the benefits that go for Russia and Europe of having that mutual relationship. Yeah, but when you run an authoritarian regime, which is as brutal as his, he's mm. killed a lot of people, mm. both in the world of journalism, but also in the world of politics. In the world of what? In the world of journalism, Jesus he's killed a lot. Christ, of... we've got to be careful about that then. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. killed a lot of journalists, yeah. uh, no, and he's killed a lot of well. politicians. I'm and, staying well away from the windows. That's all I'm Yeah, all I'm yeah. Staying. I mean, that's good advice. But I think he's basically sees his key card now is to be at war with the West. And I think he's been effectively, since he returned to power in 2012, he's been launching all sorts of, he's been funding, for example, Alternative Für Deutschland in Germany, yeah. neo fascist group. And, Matteo Salvini. Yeah. And he's been supporting all these populists. Yeah. And, uh, 
uh, yeah, he has chummy relations with Urban and well, Robert, let, me, let, me, let me ask you a couple of questions here, because rightly, Kathleen Lauderdale and Julian are asking us a couple of questions in the thing. So Kathleen's saying, which, which of course, other people have put out, there's, a, there's a, a thing from President Biden back in, I think, January, saying we will not let, let, let Nord Stream 2 open, and we have ways to do it, you know. So that's been seen as a, as a threat. And Julian Springer, who's a very clever chap, I don't know him, but he says incredibly good things about me, so it must be a clever chap, says, um, <laughs> is, isn't the only way to do this, to have, an, have a confrontation with NATO? And I, I think that is exactly, isn't it, what we're being set up for, both with the annexations and this. Mm. The, the, the fact that these were about uh, four or five centimetres outside um, Danish and Swedish um, territory, but in their economic zones, was an incredible fuck you, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And he did as warn we, the, as we as we military analysts say. Yeah, but he he did warn um the you know he 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 you know these people who Finland and Sweden who joined NATO want to join NATO. Mm. Um he certainly tried to convey a message to Sweden in particular, I think. He did say at the time there would be retaliation of some sort. Mm. Uh, um so I mean you can't rule out Russia doing this. Um, he's in a desperate situation. Can I just say also, I will literally eat my hat on this podcast if it turns out that that was the Americans. And I guarantee that Jens Stoltenberg and Biden know exactly who did it and when and how and why. Well, let's... let's why don't, you, a, let's why don't they get that information out then, Peter? Well, because they because really I think it's so damaging and so... so Literally, I, I am one of the things that I'm slightly worried about is that I've gone down this path of saying it's the Russians or suggesting it's the Russians. And because I'm still have vague, um, vague uh, attempts to still be a proper journalist and not some sort of rabble rousing wanker. Um, I think that um, I've used fuck and wanker in the same podcast. <laughs> today. That's that's the quota that's done. Yeah, yeah. But um, <laughs> If it turns out to be the Americans, I will be both flabbergasted and I'll have to stop doing this podcast forever because that is just, that would be so, whereas it's entirely in line with what one expects from the Russians. It's it's yeah. part of hybrid war, you know? Uh, it, this is recorded, so yeah, I'll provide you with a hat, but I'm really mm. confident too that I won't have to provide you with a hat because um, Chocolate hat th good, this, 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 this seems to me uh, at as a key moment where NATO, if they have the information and they want to tell everyone that they know who did it and how and are willing to say so, are then put in the awkward position of what is the response? That's exactly why I don't think they've said it yet. Because we know, yeah. Robert, from what? all of those amazing leaks of intelligence from the US, which was, as we've discussed before, one of the cleverest um and most effective things in this entire conflict was the way the US released really important intelligence early mm. so that the Russians knew what they had. Mm. I think that they know, or I suspect that they know. Well, the Americans have really impressive capabilities when it comes to information retrieval. I mean, there were some claims that they could intercept many of the phone calls that Putin was making from his, ah. his private office. Well, so, so do you remember... So you remember in the Snowden, in the Snowden, the new Russians, Russian resident, permanent resident and citizen, Edward Snowden, yes. uh, revealed the existence of the amazing um, GCHQ MI6 probes that went into the internet connections that go into Cornwall. Do you remember this? 
Mm. These are literally needles, physical needles that go into the internet probes, internet connections in Cornwall. Mm. Sweden apparently has had for years the same thing in the Baltic, intercepting all, all of the internet going into uh, St. Petersburg and on to Moscow. So it's possible then, Peter, that maybe in the next few days we will get some reasonably authoritative information being released they're probably processing it i mean if they do know who's who's done this there'll be verification checks yeah, exactly. God knows what's exactly. going on. That's, ex that's exactly why i think it hasn't happened yet but and, you know, and also who will have it first want... is probably the kaka oh yeah <laughs> um no i'll just um yeah i'll have a chat with um the white house press did you see I'm also sure. did you did you see also um robert that uh, not only did this happen pretty much in line with norway opening its pilot pipeline into yeah. Germany, and also that the internet cable between um, Norway and the mainland Norway and uh, the um, island, the, the Arctic islands of Norway in the north, was severed recently. Yeah, that's interesting. By, by somebody who, you know, could go down and bring a pair of scissors and cut it. Robert, yeah, oh, and I, I, just... I still think, yeah, Putin's still got that intelligence, covert intelligence mentality a little bit, and he may think this is, uh, you know, I, I don't know, but I think he's really pretty cornered at the moment, and uh, you know, the military in Russia must be really concerned about the situation because uh, we was talking about this recently, but revelations that some of the people who've been called up to the mobilization process are getting virtually no training at all mm. before being dispatched there. And some of them, of course, are almost immediately surrendering if they get the opportunity. Um, yeah, I mean, it, 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 we, as we speak, Russia could over the weekend experience at least one other major reverse, which is at Lyman, uh, which is a very important mm. hub uh, for Russian military operations, the latest on that, or at least uh, so I had look lunchtime, so that's my latest, probably out of date by already. But it would appear that they are complete. The Russian forces, which were not allowed by Putin to withdraw, are now completely encircled and cut off. So, can I use the word salient again? Ukrainians expect uh, they are saying, patiently to the trap Russians, surrender or die." Zelensky said this publicly. Um, it would seem that, you know, that's that. So, Mr. P if you're in Mr. Putin's shoes, you would be looking for a few diversions. Mm. I just wondered, too, Robert, um, if NATO is gathering their evidence and crossing their T's and dotting their I's and getting ready to lay out a, uh, a lay down Mazir. Um, oh, we've a lay down Mazir. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, a full, um, uncontroversial bulletproof argument um and hopefully better than the intelligence given for the iraq war yeah that that says um the russians did it and the question i'm i'm curious now what does nato do i saw last night that nato came out and said if there is any destruction of yes, european that, that, infrastructure that interesting we will have to do a concerted exactly uh, but they destroyed, destroyed russian infrastructure 51 percent owned by gazprom and they've done it literally meters away from national territory of both the it's incredibly skillful mm. but yeah. uh, i i wonder what does what does nato do in response or what can it do that is um 
proportionate and doesn't um, escalate things. Because the risk is that just they just look weak by going, oh, well, there's not much we can do here. No, oh, I, I think they've got quite a lot of things they can do because there's lots of capabilities that NATO have been denying Ukraine. Um, although it's interesting uh, that the I noticed in the latest consignment from the Americans, uh, they're getting something like 18 of those high mobility uh, artillery pieces are HIMARS. They're getting 18 in a single yeah, consignment. It's, 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 well, yes, it's, although there's a number of years apparently in oh, the delivery, because this is also one of the critical things, Robert, is that, I mean, apart from, you know, actually, I must go and buy some shares on sharesies in Ravion right now and um, <laughs> Martin Marietta and, uh, although it's not Martin Marietta anywhere, but, well, but um, you know, some of these, some of these countries are running out of supplies. Although, of course, Germany hasn't sent anything, basically. So no, no they words. keep saying that they can't to the British do or something. Yeah. I can't understand that. But look, I think, Nate, come back to Bernard's question. I, I think NATO could, um, through the, it doesn't have to be done with the US, but I, I think there would be some sort of effort. If they, if I, I noticed that statement as well. I don't think NATO would make that statement unless it thought out its next move. Mm. And it also seems to be, to me, a signal that they are going to indicate who did it. Yeah. <laughs> because too, if they were too. completely baffled, why would you say, when we find out who's done this, there will be action? I mean, it, it seems to me, uh, yeah. Um, and the other thing that struck me in the last I'm just um, preparing week was, my chocolate hat now, by the way. Chocolate yeah. hat, yeah. Um, uh, the, the other thing that struck me was was these very aggressive comments from Medvedev saying that he thought, um, well, we can nuke the Ukrainians and NATO are too scared to retaliate. And um, I just wonder if that's, if that's bluster or a, a really dangerous miscalculation. I think it's bluster. And the reason I think that is I think Mr. Putin is putting a lot of pressure on those people who he considers part of his circle to be talking tough um because he's 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 under pressure and um you know there is a degree of military exaggeration here i mean let's let's just unpack medvedev's statement for a moment mm. use nuclear weapons on ukraine so russia wouldn't be subject to the radiation and the fallout he might as well just saw off one leg. I mean, it, it, it would be a disaster for Russia to mm. launch a tat as the Chinese keep pointing out. No, but he'll have a third leg if the, if the fallout works effectively. But, yeah. <laughs> well, that's so, very creative, but, but he yeah, might have to work, wait a long time for that development. Um, <laughs> and the wind blows back into Russia. That's the, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Well, so, so Robert, all right. Okay, so we're going to go totally speculative here. I'm going to be, I'm going to go full Tucker Carlson. Even, even more? No, yeah, well, even, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Do you think it's possible that we will discover that um, modestly sized tactical nuclear weapons were used to blow up the Nord Stream pipelines? I have, I just don't know on that i mean i i Jesus don't Christ, neither do i but i can posit it um, well and uh, i think yeah. the norwegians and the swedes have seismic um monitors mm. and they're using they're analyzing that data now and they said there were explosions they wouldn't need to actually use um tactical nuclear weapons to do that no that would be a rather interesting gesture wouldn't it to do it under mm. the sea 
I think we would have known by okay. now, I think, if, if it had come out, because apart from the radiation issues. Yeah, the radiation would still come out. Uh, okay, stand by, and I'll be eating a second hat on that one. Second hat, yeah. <laughs> um, and and also, as you pointed out to me earlier, um, Peter, the Russians could send one of those... You oh, a pig. Pig. a pig. This is, the, this a is pig. like... So a, this was a, it was a very good piece. So uh, having uh, years ago before, when Bernard and I first knew each other, I used to cover um, the oil industry and uh, with pipelines, you have things called pigs and you send them down. They can do many, many things. They clean the inside of the pipe. They check out for leaks and so on. And there was an analyst. So these are like ro robot. Little well, um, that you, you they either robots or you just send them down in the flow and they pop out the other end like a like a something or other. And um, you know, because I've just lost my ability to speak English. And what this uh, oil analyst suggested that they'd sent down a an attack pig that just sat in the thing and exploded when it needed to. Because you could track it and control it as it went along the, the line and decided Correct. to do your thing. Correct. Yeah. No, we, we're getting into... Robert, you're looking, um, I mean, you're looking very handsome down there. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> been a tough week, actually. Uh, is it right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's been a tough week. Oh. Um, it, uh, a big week, and we have to hope that um, nothing worse happens now, over the Bernard, weekend. Is, are we we'll doing our skateboarding dog now? Ah, yes, you have but, a but one, dog. Can, can Robert stay on? Because I want to show sure. the reason my skateboarding dog is actually me this week. And I don't think I've done this before on this uh, podcast, but I want to show you something that kind of goes to the heart of, and, and I think Robert will totally appreciate this. I hope he will, is uh, my T-shirt, which is my favorite T-shirt. I don't have... complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Jolly good. Yeah, you know that's that's the economist complicated. The, the economist versions of that is it depends. Yeah, yeah. So, um, very good point. Uh, I shall be preparing the uh, chocolate hats uh, for you, Peter. Uh, yeah, we, we shall do a very nice um, dark chocolate hat for you. And Robert, thank you so much for coming on to the. Yeah, very thank you, Robert. Thank we you. really have enjoyed students. it, and we can. We can sort of hope that nothing shocking happens in the next week. So, no, no, we can't. Everything's shitty shocking. There's going to be some I shitty know. shocking but stuff. But actually, what what I've we might have to do a midweek podcast next right. week. Yeah. So, so what I've learned from today, actually, from this discussion, is that we need to watch out like a hawk over the next two or three days for a NATO special coming out and saying, Here's as what well as happened. the potential collapse of the Russian further collapse of the Russian position in yes, yeah. Oh, well, did you see, by the way, Robert, the other day, the fabulous piece of video, which I will send you if I haven't already, of the uh, Russian recruiting person in saying to these people, and she was almost in tears. It was a, she was a very glamorous kind of uh, Russian recruiting officer, which is the opposite of what you might think, saying, I don't want to tell you this, but go out and buy as many tampons as you can, because you're going to need them to fill your bullet holes. Oh, lovely. And you. Yeah. It was so, it was actually heartrending. It, it was that the same person who told the troops that they provide the uniforms, but they have to buy their guns. That she said, "You provide the uniform. We provide the uniforms and the artillery. You provide the tampons for your weapons and your Turner case." Yeah, no, it's awful. And actually, some of the scenes that we've seen of mothers waving goodbye to their sons on buses is uh, is awful. And you do wonder. Oh, it's all if, set up, Bernard. 
it's not real. It, you do wonder if there is going to be some sort of um, civil revolt in Russia that it is likely to be led by the women, the mothers and the sisters. Mm. Of, Very good, because uh, that's what happened with Afghanistan. Okay, look, I'm going yeah. to suggest, I mean, this is acting as your producer and we're just digressing here. This is like the Melvin Bragg 10 minutes with tea after he does in uh, your yeah. time, in our time. <laughs> That's good. Uh, in fact, we should get, I should send some Lapsang Suchong um, tea bags to, to Robert, but That's maybe we should get Robert and um, my friend David Satter, the, 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 the Russian analyst, American Russian analyst, to come and talk next week. Yeah, no, that's a great idea. Good. All right. Meanwhile, it's time, it's time to go. Thank you very yep. much well, have to a nice everyone. Weekend, Thanks, everyone. Robert. Yeah, Lovely to see you all. Thank Kapitano. you. Cheers. Bye -bye. Thanks, Bernard. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.